Good evening, and welcome to the Reconsidering Russia podcast. My name is Pietro Shakarian. I am a graduate student, master's graduate student, at the University of Michigan at Ann Arbor. And uh, I would like to welcome you on this wonderful night to our program, uh, coming uh, to you from the Media Center of the Modern Languages Building at the University of Michigan. That was the saber dance from the ballet Guyane by the famous, world-renowned Soviet-Armenian composer Adam Hachatorian. So, this is the first Reconsidering Russia podcast, and I have to admit, I feel very modernistic about this. Even the very idea of podcast has something so inherently futuristic about it. It's almost like something that I would expect an avant-garde Soviet artist to devise in like the 1920s, you know, in the Nep era. In fact, this, it's, it's like these ideas could almost apply to all of our modern-day technologies, like the iPad or the iPhone, you know. There's just something so futuristic about all this. So I hope this can be something that, that people might find useful. Maybe you can call this a constructivistic podcast, because the intent would be to teach you something. So this is a socially useful podcast, if you can call it that. It's very NEP, uh, you know, very much in the, in the genre of the NEP era, I suppose you could say. So my guest this evening is a very interesting individual. Uh, his name is Sergei Sargsyan. Sergei is a comedian, actor, and writer in Armenia, and co-host of the Armed Comedy television program with Nadek Mangaryan. Armed Comedy is basically an Armenian version of The Daily Show that satirizes news in Armenia, the Caucasus, and the former USSR, but especially Armenia. So, Sergey, thank you uh, for joining me in the studio tonight. Thank you for the invitation. It's my pleasure. So, let me start by asking you, what draws you, Sergey Sargsyan, to comedy, and why? Well, I think it's a, a kind of addiction, and I have had this addiction since childhood. In the class, I always wanted to have the attention to say something that would crack up the crowd. And once you get the attention of the crowd, you get the attention of friends and people laughing at what you say, you get addicted to that. Then it kind of developed further on. And uh, as I worked for uh, like serious places and serious organizations, uh, civil society, good governance and stuff, and I saw people, uh, officials, uh, politicians who were very shallow, and I saw a lot of opportunities to crack them up and to crack up the shallowness behind them, and I couldn't do it because I was kind of an official myself on the other side. Uh, I just found this venue as a, you know, as a way out. I found political satire as a way out to satisfy that inner need to mock the ridiculousness uh, of, of, the, of the officials. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you were actually born in Tbilisi, Georgia. And how did this experience affect you? Uh, yes, I, I love Georgia. I love Tbilisi. I love it so much that I once even used the occasion and was born there. <laughs> well, the, the way it uh, affected me is that I saw that the society, world, people are not homogenous. I saw different groups of people. I saw uh, a lot of uh, like discrimination, especially in the early uh, rise of independence moods in Georgia. So this is in the age of Gam Sahordia, yes? That's right, yeah. And uh, that was actually the reason why we moved out of Georgia, because there was a bit too much Georgian nationalism for that time, so we thought it would be safer to go to Armenia. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, but, but before that, I had a great childhood there, 
and it was a very nice, neat Russian uh, kindergarten and uh, two years of school, of Russian school, uh, with the diverse, you know, ethnical diversity there, which helped me so the, see the world in a more colorful way. Yeah, uh, like more di- more. I saw more diversity there than I ever saw in Armenia because Armenia is much more homogenous. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and uh, so those earlier years in Soviet Georgia, when you were growing up, it was not really this kind of a nationalistic, chauvinistic environment that later came with Gamsakhordia. Yes. Right. Right. Yes. A lot of happy times before that. And you also once told me that you were part Georgian too, right? So how does this kind of like a multi-ethnic heritage affect you? <laughs> well, uh, yes, one of my grandfathers is, is kind of Georgian, and, uh, uh, and that's why I like wine. That, that's why I like consuming a lot of alcohol, I guess. <laughs> I don't know how it could affect, but uh, it's, it's kind of a f- fun fact for me, and uh, I, I find it very entertaining, uh, and I don't know, I use it uh, on different occasions. Before that, I thought uh, I, I was kind of um, closeted part Georgian for, for <laughs> I don't know why, because I thought, oh my God, if people find out I'm part Georgian, it's, uh, it's you know, it's going to be frowned upon or something, which, and I realized it's kind of silly. So yeah, I'm, I'm a proud part Georgian now. Yeah, and again, I think that speaks to the sort of a nationalism that, you know, you're ashamed of saying you're, you know, part Armenian or part Georgian or whatever, you know. Yeah. So you and your family lived in Georgia, and then you moved to Armenia in the early 1990s. Yes. What was your experience like in Armenia at that time? Well, uh, Armenia did not embrace us, uh, you know, as, you know, we, we thought we would come here and would be like, oh, yes, you're Armenians, and uh, you can enjoy all possible liberties and uh, benefits of, of living here. No, it was a time when uh, things were falling apart. We came to a place which was falling apart, and we had, all the people of Armenia were uh, beginning to build the country from a scratch, basically. It was wartime. There was no electricity. We would uh, f- uh, use, use real fireplace at the apartment. We would burn woods to survive during the cold winters of 90s. So that was kind of a harsh time. <laughs> uh, and uh, then for a while we moved to, to Russia, and that was also interesting experience in terms of seeing um, some unfairness and uh, lack of justice <laughs> and making sure that, you know, yeah, Armenia, although there is no electricity, there is a war, but it's still kind of better than sticking, sticking around here in the still early Russian independent state, which was also had some nationalist sentiments back then. Yeah, and this was the age of Boris Yeltsin. This was the Lichy Divinosti, or the Wild 90s, as they called it. That's right. And I guess it must have been pretty wild, you know? It was, yeah. And uh, so then you went back to Armenia, mm-hmm. and you decided to form Armed Comedy, or what was the uh, chronology here precisely? Also, I kind of want to get a sense with regard to armed comedy. How did this come about? What sparked this? What's, what was your grand inspiration, so to speak? Well, before that, for seven years, uh, I worked for um, American government-sponsored projects supporting civil society, uh, you know, political dialogue, political culture. I worked for um, election for an organization that helped organize elections, better elections in Armenia. 
Mm -hmm. One that helped, um, you know, forge dialogue between civil society and political parties, and then one that uh, was fighting against corruption. And although all the intentions were really nice, neat, cute, and noble, but it was not always successful in completely eliminating the evil, for example, of corruption. Right. So, but it gave me a lot of insights into how uh, how much inefficiency, how much ridiculousness there is in how the country is governed, in how officials run their offices. So all those insights uh, formed opportunities for, uh, for satire. Now you see that an office is, uh, is not doing anything and it's funded and it's, uh, then it gets, the minister gets a medal for good work and you realize that you can actually blast him, that you can mock him so hard that everybody will laugh at him and uh, you just need uh, a venue for that, and political satire was a venue for that. And actually, uh, the first one of the first articles I did on armed comedy, I was still working for this anti-corruption project, and I did the, this article blasting corruption in Armenia, and you know, saying that we not only need an anti-corruption project, we need an anti-asshole project <laughs> in Armenia because there is a system-level asshole uh, syndrome here among officials and. At that time, I got some fire you know, from my boss, uh, this American organization. He was scared. Oh, my God. You actually, it kind of, yeah, it, it's for a good cause, but it kind of relates to our work. So maybe there's going to be repercussion or something. But fortunately, you know, there is, because there is this good culture of political satire in U.S., the U.S. ambassador here really liked that article, and she said, Good job, keep going, you know, that's the right thing to do to mock what's wrong, what you see is wrong with the system. Right. And that was a very inspirational, you know, message and incentive from U.S. Ambassador here, uh, Marie Yovanovitch, and uh, that's, uh, you know, those were the first steps. And after that, we got an invitation to go to an internet, uh, to do an internet program at CivilNet. Mm-hmm. So... I and my friend, we quit USAID jobs and went to there. And then we got, a, got another offer to do the same thing on a wider scale, reaching wider audience. And we went for that. And here we are now. All right. And uh, so now you're on Arm News, yes? Uh, actually, recently we changed to a, uh, another channel. It's ATV, but it's pretty much in the same group of channels. Okay. And maybe you could tell us a bit about uh, what, what's going on in Armenia lately. What's the political situation there? What's like the politics? Well, this calls for a long and boring analysis, <laughs> which I would be happy to do if, if I were into, into that. <laughs> but I'm just going to say that, uh, well, the major thing is that uh, in terms of home politics, we have this one opposition big opposition group that was squashed because they were they had too much business interests so uh, and, and they actually they were just the twin brother of the of the authorities yeah uh, not different in their foreign policy not different in their home policy they were just another group of rich people longing for authority so that group went away so there is just this one group that that means that there's going to be a period of stability, at least. So this opposition party called the Prosperous Armenia Party mm -hmm. that was challenging the government and that was ultimately defeated by the government, 
is led by this guy, Gagik Sarukian. Yeah, that's right. This guy's a very powerful oligarch in Armenia, and uh, Sergei, maybe you can talk a bit about him. He's got lions. He keeps lions at home. And he dresses like, uh, like an American rap star. And uh, I don't know if I need to say anything more. Yeah. That's, that's the guy. That explains him, you know, 99%. Now, Sergei, let me ask you a question here about corruption in Armenia. Has the situation with regard to corruption in Armenia improved? It has in many areas, uh, especially uh, something we call the passport table. Uh, it's the place where you get all your ID, extension of your IDs, your traveling permit, passport, etc. It was a hell, a bureaucratic hell, where you had to pay bribes for every single paper and thing. Now it's like the best place, you know. <laughs> It's like little Switzerland uh, in Armenia. You, you go to a passport table, you punch in your ticket, and you get the like really nice service. Uh, people give you your papers with absolutely not a single hint of a bribe. So we really love that one area. So that's one. Then the other area is cadastro. It's where you register your property, your private property, apartment, land, etc. That was an absolute mess uh, for decades. And then around 2010, 2011, that one too changed. And, you know, they just uh, started being civilized. And uh, two years ago, I had to deal with some uh, property issues there. And I, I was served like I wouldn't believe it. I said, what's wrong with you guys? Weren't you supposed to be this annoying, uh, you know, disgusting office where you, you, you wish you were dead before you were through with your business and you re uh, realized that it, that had changed and they were actually there were cameras there so it was like if something went wrong who knew they would be punished and they were all nice and neat and smiley and it was like that cadastro thing was also really nice tell me about the traffic police do they still stop you for bribes what's the story on that the traffic police has evolved into a much nicer form of corruption which is still bad universally generally because there is still corruption but you know most of uh, drivers are happy with that because first what has improved they used to stop you for no reason they used to they used to pick pick on you for like little things now you have to break a rule you have to actually to break a rule for them to stop you pull you over and uh, after that uh, uh, you still pay something uh, because they have to show something to, the, to their superiors. So, but, but they give you a choice. They give you they uh, give you a choice to pay a smaller fine. Uh, you pay a smaller fine, go to the budget, but you also pay an extra to them, like uh, which is which is uh, much less uh, money for the driver than it would be to pay them to pay for his actual broken rule. So it's kind of a uh, ironically, in the situation when the driver pays less for his uh, fine, the, uh, there is still bribe involved and there is still some money going to the budget. So it's kind of a ridiculously, <laughs> ridiculously uh, multi-convenient situation in terms of traffic police. So, Sergei, as you know, the big event in the caucuses last year was the arrest warrant issued by the Georgian government against the controversial ex-president 
Mikhail Misha Saakashvili. And so Misha now has since gone on, he's become an advisor to the president of Ukraine, Petro Poroshenko, and you've actually satirized uh, this advisorship on armed comedy. So what are your thoughts on, uh, you know, this advisorship on Misha and his, you know, antics, so to speak? Well, we we found it very ironic that the person uh, who's biggest blunder was uh, in terms of, you know, losing land and uh, conducting anti-Russian policy that resulted in ultimate loss of lands, doing the very thing in Ukraine, advising on the land dispute. The one thing he screwed, screwed up big time in Georgia, he lost land, and now he was bringing his experience of losing land <laughs> to Ukraine. Uh, so we found some irony there. Now, uh, if we just uh, talk general about his policies, uh, I think the biggest mistake, if we start with mistakes, was uh, you know uh, pointing your middle finger to the country north of you, which is like a thousand times bigger and stronger and has lots of leverages and actually can be your friend and useful to you. So that was the, the biggest mistake, I think, like screwing up relations with, with, with Russia. And uh, other than that, uh, I really liked uh, how he got rid of uh, organized crime and mafia and stuff and petty corruption. I hate petty corruption. That was really nice. But then uh, there was political corruption, which, uh, as I understand, was not uh, was not taken care of. And, and actually, recently I had a, converse, a conversation with a with a friend who tried to start business in Tbilisi, and uh, he he had to wrap up his business and get out of Georgia because he says that the tax authorities are not really as non-corrupt as it is advertised. They use like passive aggression and uh, they ask for papers that uh, they know you're going to have a hard time to provide or and then when you provide some papers they ask for other papers. They just drive uh, people they don't like, they, have, uh, they find unfavorable out of business. So it's not it's not like a completely corruptless uh, and perfect system where you can start a business and succeed. Misha has also made a lot of noise recently about returning to Georgia by revolutionary means and becoming president again. So what do you think about this? Well, I'm going to enjoy watching that. <laughs> I don't know how it's going to end up, but uh, it was obvious that he was going he was planning a comeback at some point. So. We'll just um, see how it works out, but I don't see a lot of um, support now, and um, uh, it's uh, it, the the only way he can come back if you know some cataclysm or something, some crisis or shock happens, and there is chaos, you know, and people like Saakashvili they, they come out of chaos and they uh, make it serve to their like benefit, uh, so. Uh, unless, if things are stable, if Georgia keeps going the way it is going, it's going to be very hard for him to do the comeback. But if uh, if some some sort of shock, you know, cataclysm happens, only then maybe he will be able to to show himself back. Now, Sergey, as you know, there are stereotypes about Armenians being sad and dour people. Mm. Obviously, this is not true. We have, of course, armed comedy. We also have earlier Armenian comedians like Lini Diengibarov who is more of a clown, different genre than what you do. But in general, do you think that comedy is a way to break stereotypes? Yes, and let me uh, first say that 
for example, we have this success story, uh, the comedy business. And when you say comedy in Russia, the first thing that comes to mind is Armenians, because Armenians created this uh, biggest epic comedy club, which is now rocking Russia, has been rocking for 10 years. And uh, it, it broke stereotypes. It uh, started associating Armenians with comedy. And the uh, thing is that Armenians have always been funny, but that fun part was like limited to the kitchens and some feasts, some you know parties. And the Armenians would joke over table, over a glass of wine or something. And uh, but when it comes to sad stuff like mourning, uh, Armenians would do it in mass, in massive uh, e events, you know, in massive rallies. Now, the thing that's changing is that you can see comedy more on a massive scale, and that's good, because now we're trying to show the world that you can be funny, not just in the kitchen, but on a more global scale. And uh, Yenge Barb was also one of those people who took it out. He won some prizes uh, in Europe, and uh, he, he took it to the stage, and... Uh, I think making comedy more global comedy is a is a good way to break stereotypes because yes uh, we've had some sad things happening in the history so uh, that that kind of shaped the sad stereotypes now it's time for positive fun stereotypes <laughs> right and uh, so in addition to hosting the satirical news program you also do stand up as well uh, how does this compare? to hosting a show, stand-up versus hosting a show, which do you prefer one over the other? Well, uh, the, the show is kind of a hobby, but uh, stand-up is it's like the even more hobby than this hobby, because there you can, you can share things that are not necessarily relevant, not necessarily political, it's just you know, things, very intimate things, things you can, you know, discuss in more detail, not looking at time frames, not looking at templates that are required, you don't have to show videos, it's just you sharing your your feelings, your ideas, and your frustrations. So I think stand-up is, is a more intimate, and uh, it's, uh, it's clo closer to my heart, and uh, I wish I had more time to do stand-up. And uh, I, I really love that, and I think that's going to be something. We try to do it at least once a year, hopefully more in the future. And uh, I absolutely enjoy that. And I do like much more of the stuff I want in stand-up than in the show. Show is uh, has its rules. Stand-up has no rules. You know, you're not limited in time, in format, in language. Uh, is just a much more limitless venue. And you also did some screenwriting, too. I know with Nadek, you did The Night's Move, which is, like, recent film. Mm -hmm. Now, this is, like, Armenia and Kazakhstan mm -hmm. got together and made a movie, basically. Talk a little bit about this. Well, uh, the idea came from Charm Holding, um, and uh, they wanted to do a movie that would be interesting, not just for Armenia, but also for uh, former Soviet countries, and specifically Kazakhstan. And uh, it was, uh, well, because we had experience in comedy, we were asked to do, to do a script, and we did the script, and it worked out uh, really nice, and um, it was for the big screen. But for me, as a, as a 
you know, as a, like a political satirist, like instead of, it, was, it was like big commercial project for wider audience, not necessarily uh, for for audience like myself. I mean, it was uh, I, I like humor for smaller groups of people and uh, you know more insightful, more complicated jokes. When, when there's a commercial project, you have to be more open, more general, and less sophisticated in your approach of humor, which is fine. It's just called commercial humor. Uh, so uh, that's another thing, I guess, you have, you, you have to have, uh, you go through, you know, it was a very useful experience, very nice, and uh, actually we're working on another script, of which I'm not going to talk about much. <laughs> Is just that uh, there are at one or two more movies in the works. Ideally, though, you would prefer to be the host of a satirical news show or to be a stand-up comedian as opposed to being a, a writer for a mass uh, commercial comedy film, right? Yes. I mean, in terms of uh, my personal preferences, uh, I, I like these two better because that's more... It's for, like, 90% of people. You have, I don't like being funny for 90% of people in the country. I like being funny for 20%. And, you know, maybe it's wrong commercially, <laughs> but it's more fun. So you were on CNN recently, and they had you on this mini-documentary on Armenia. And how did this happen? Did, did Wolf Blitzer call you up or something and ask you to be on the program? How, what, what? Uh, Amanpour called me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and said, can you do something like that? Can you explain harsh to the Americans? Uh, I said, okay. Well, uh, there were, I, I don't know how that came up, but uh, a friend of mine uh, who was going to guide them to Armenia called me up and said, you know, they are coming and they are willing to see different kind of people from different walks of life. And you are kind of from a different walk of life from all other walks of life. <laughs> yes, and... Uh, you know, maybe we can go out and you can explain some some of Armenia to them. I said okay, and we ended up having hush. It was kind of ironic that uh, out of all the things I could explain from Armenia, I was explaining this really serious and the ritualistic. You know, hush is a very uh, all a conservative type of uh, activity, which I like because if it, it involves alcohol, uh, but other than that, it's like a very serious and. Uh, traditional thing uh, so we, I, I tried to use that occasion to put some more uh, you know more stuff more ideas into that and show as much of Armenia as I could through Hash. I think I, I enjoyed that yeah and Hash is like an all-day activity I mean you really have to put your heart and soul into Hash. yeah explain more because I, I don't think our audience uh, understands what Hash is uh, yeah sure uh, well in, in, a, in a nutshell Hash is a Cow hoofs, I'll just say it again because I know I should say it again. It's hoofs of a cow uh, cooked for about I don't know, 24 hours and then you add their garlic, some dried uh, bread, which we call lavash, and you know other stuff, but mainly that. And you uh, eat it early in the morning because it takes like 10 hours to digest that. So you have to eat it in the morning. <laughs> So it's kind of one of those things you have you have to get uh, get over the cultural shock to get used to. And uh, but once you do, it becomes a ritual that you enjoy, and you have to have it in the winter. It's a, it's a winter thing. You have to have it in winter. 
So it's like a very deep traditional conservative thing that uh, I had to explain, and I kind of enjoyed it because CNN paid for that hush. <laughs> Excellent, fantastic. And uh, so this armed comedy news program. Are there similar satirical news programs in other former Soviet republics, like in Georgia, Russia, Ukraine? In Ukraine, I know that the city of Odessa on the Black Sea has mm -hmm. a very strong tradition of humor and satire. So is there anything else like this, like an armed comedy in other former Soviet states? Well, I can say, uh, first with this new um, Eurasian economic Union, we don't have it there, it's just Armenia. Then, if we look at the region, it's uh, none in Iran, Turkey, or uh, especially Azerbaijan. Uh, there is one in Georgia, it's called the Daily Pills, but it's uh, from what I could find online and from what I could research, it's, uh, it's on a much smaller scale, uh, surprisingly, than in Armenia. If you look at their viewership and uh, their Facebook page, which is very small, uh, it's, uh, it seems like Armenia has a, uh, has a big advantage in terms of political satire. And I think political satire is a good indicator of where the country is in terms of, you know, democracy and uh, freedom of speech. Once you lose political satire, you know something is wrong, something is bad. And actually, here's an interesting thing. Our program was receiving a prize for, you know, program of the year, something like that, uh, a few weeks ago, and uh, the president was handing the prize to us. So this is Serge. Yes, and uh, after the ceremony, what he told us was that uh, he believed that uh, political satire and criticism is an important uh, thing for a country, and it's a good thing to criticize pol politicians and keep them in check, which was like, wow, that's, that's great. <laughs> when you hear that from it's yeah, like, I mean, it's, it's like, amazing. So, um, what, what was it like to talk to the president of Armenia? That was very, like, uh, interesting. <laughs> uh, well, the, the uh, remarks made were very inspiring because uh, it's good to see that political satire is not just, not only is it not frowned upon, it is actually encouraged. I, I felt some you know, uh, encouragement for uh, further criticizing bad governance. And uh, the fact that there is understanding that criticizing bad spending, bad uh, decisions uh, is, uh, is encouraged, it's, uh, it's a positive sign, I think. Now, do you think that this armed comedy could impact other former Soviet republics, like Russia or Kazakhstan? What do you think about this? I don't know. It's really hard to say because uh, it's not like any other programs affect Armenia. <laughs> uh, if, in Russia, uh, they have a very big culture and tradition of, uh, political, uh, of satire in the form of the comedy club run by uh, the person who runs uh, some TV channels in Armenia, including ours. And uh, the thing is that in Russia, they, there is no political satire. Uh, so, I, I don't think that Armenia can influence the state of affairs in Russia, but it can serve as a beacon of hope <laughs> yeah, for, for this territory. Uh, and uh, I, I mean, when it comes to you know uh, looking at at these things, people will see: Do we have? 
for example, I don't know, someone famous goes to Russia and says, is there any like political satire in your union or something? And they're going to, I don't know, think about it and look back and say, do we really have, oh yeah, there is one in Armenia. Hey, how come they have it in Armenia? Maybe we should have some in, in Russia as well. And you know, maybe it will pick up someday there too. Do you think that comedy can play a role in conflict resolution? Yes, I think comedy has a big potential for uh, bringing people together. For uh, because when a group of people laughs at something, uh, it kind of makes them closer. And uh, one of my favorite things, for example, when I do something funny uh, on my Facebook page, or if I po post one of my articles on my Facebook page, is when I see people who kind of hate each other all coming together and you know liking the thing I did, uh, you know, commenting and smiling at that, I see that, you know, oh my god, these guys were actually uh, at each other's throats uh, the other day, and now they are coming together under this article of mine. It, uh, it, it kind of makes me feel good and uh, gives me hope that comedy can bring people together. And This is a small scale, but when it, uh, whenever there is a chance for comedy to play on a bigger scale, I think comedy will play its role. So, Sergey, you mentioned in other interviews that your idol is Jon Stewart of The Daily Show, and that you really look up to his work. Recently, he announced his retirement from the show. How did you take this news? Was it difficult? Were you traumatized at all by this? Explain, how did you feel when you heard he was retiring? Well, I'm going to tell you that uh, something I never told anyone before, but when I heard the news of John Stewart retiring, I locked myself up in the room, in my room, for two days, and I, I cried for two days. Oh. And I go out of the room, and I, I drank a lot of alcohol, and cried <laughs> like a little girl. <laughs> well, I mean, it sounds like you took it pretty hard, man. I mean, it's... I mean, just... Wow, I mean, the tough times. I mean... <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, wow. Like, you know, it was, uh, okay, well, maybe I exaggerated the crying part, <laughs> but other than that, I was really upset. I mean, it's like your hero saying I'm retiring. It's like, you know, I think it's something like what Americans felt uh, when Star Trek was over or something. <laughs> I don't know. I know a lot of Americans are addicted to Star Trek. Yeah, but it was like yeah, and Spock. Everybody was mourning when Larry Nimoy passed away. I mean, on Facebook. Right. I mean, that was really a, a big yeah. deal. Exactly, exactly. Whoever was the guy, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so it was very hard. And um, it's just uh, it's end of an era, and you realize that your a big part of your life was attached to this person and what he did and his program and. Now you're you're being very suspicious and very you know dubious about the new guy. What do you think of the new guy? I, I I've never heard of him before, so I had to Google him, and I found some funny stuff, some controversial stuff, and some more funny stuff. So I'm just going to give him the benefit of the doubt. That's the best way to go. And um, so you launched a new website on April first, April Fool's Day. Perhaps you can explain a little bit about this. What exactly is it? Well, uh, we're going to yeah, we did launch uh, an English version of our site, and it's called The Politist, and it's going to be basically political satire. The target audience of which will be uh, more general, like more 
international, unlike on comedy, which is more targeting uh, local issues here. And we're going to target some more global issues that would be interesting to American and European readers. That's good. And so what inspired this? Well, this is uh, basically nothing new. It's just what we've been doing with armed comedy. We just want to expand and we want to, uh, some English uh, English readers and uh, uh, you know the English world to become more uh, closer. We're trying to reach out bigger audiences. That's a very like that natural expansion desire driving us towards the, the English version of the website. All right. Well, Sergey, thank you very much for your time and for this wonderful interview. Thank you. That was Sergei Sargsyan of the Armed Comedy Satirical News Television Program in Armenia. This is the Reconsidering Russia podcast. Uh, thank you very much for joining us tonight. And uh, in the words of Edward R. Murrow, good night and good luck. Good night.